Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am John, also known as Mr. Soapbox, and you are joining us for another episode of Zero Lift. I'm joined, as usual, with Mr. Zero Lift himself, Lenny. How you doing, big dog? What's up, Captain? Ooh, I'm Captain. I like it. Uh, we have a special episode <laughs> for you guys today because in the past we covered the Midnight Club just from a fanboy what little we saw when we lived in Japan slash what we can find on the internet just to kind of tell people why there's a video game named after these guys why you might care but today we are joined by a special guest a man by the name of Andy Andy how you doing hello you okay um and Andy is we talked about this a little bit before but I would say an unprecedented level of access and interaction with the No BS Midnight Club for a Westerner. And Lenny, through some black magic Mr. Zero Lift voodoo, uh, somehow met Andy and convinced him to talk with us on the show. So we're kind of, this is kind of going to be a Midnight Club Part 2. We're actually going to talk about the actual club, some stuff they do. We're probably going to make fun of each other's car preferences and just have an all-around good time. So with that, Andy, would you mind introducing yourself just a smidge, just a little bit about you? Yeah, I quite like that. Just before you made that introduction, you mentioned fanboy. I suppose to um, to people who will probably probably listen to this podcast, they will be like, oh my God, it's the ultimate fanboy. <laughs> um <laughs> So I will introduce myself. My name is Andy. I'm from the UK. Um, I am 42 years old. Um, I am very much class myself as an old man. Um, I have been involved with Japanese cars since the late 90s. First went to Japan in uh, 2006. Spent a few years there then. Um, and then had a kind of a, a bit of a hiatus. and went back to Japan Um around five, six years ago, um, and at which point I started making uh, personal relationships with members of Midnight um, after following probably close to 27 years now of kind of, of research and and um, and love for the for the, the club and the team, etc. Um, so it, it's a personal endeavour. It's something I do in my spare time. I don't make any money or... Or, or it's not a career for me. Um, I have the most mundane job in the world, um, day to day. This is kind of an escape for me, if you like. Um, so, yes, I have been kindly invited onto this podcast to um, talk about it. So, so I am quick intro. prepared for any... Quick intro question. Before you got involved with the club, were you specifically... We talked a little bit before this about you know, the car cultures and stuff that we were all into and had been involved with. And I know that you got involved in Japanese cars when you were living in the UK, just working on stuff with your family and stuff. But were you specifically interested in Midnight Club before you ever met any of them? Was that, was that always a yeah. thing? And if it yeah, was, yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, like a long, long, long time before. And so if it was, talking about So talking about... Um, a UK car culture, if you like, it was one of the reasons why, when I discovered Midnight, why it was such a culture shock to me personally. So you you have to remember, the the UK car culture at the time was phenomenal. Um, the the Max Power era that it, it's it's known as, which led on to what I what I'm about to say. Um, what years? Max that? Power was so Max Power uh, started in ninety Oh, sorry, no, no, you're way earlier. Yeah, yeah. Max Power was about '93, I think, first issue, um, and the car in the the, the the car culture in the UK was um, kind of dragging its heels out of the '80s with some of the some of the vehicles. Um, car magazines then were quite technical. Um, it was all there was no the tuning industry, if you like, was very mechanical. Um, and uh, thing, if you wanted a really fast car in the UK, it was all. The, the big engine stuff or the Sierra Cosworth was king. And, and young young guys had hot hatches. It was a kind of affordability thing. So 
when I was when I was fourteen, um, my my kind of dad was like my hero in the in the car world in in a sense, and I was pushed into a certain type of of vehicle. In in in, if I wanted to modify it, it was kind of on, on his terms, that sort of thing. So when I was fourteen, when I discovered Midnight, it was literally like opening a, a page of a magazine and, be, and seeing this this complete contradiction to how we how we did things in the UK, the, the cars, the speed. Um, the modifications, it was like, I said this on social media a, a few months ago, it was literally like the aliens had landed was was the way that I describe it because everything was just so different to what we were used to in the UK. And it was like this lightning bolt. Um, mm. Do you think... Can I, can I, can I just ahead. say something about the max power? Because I, I also have uh, some exposure to the max power magazines. <clears throat> Uh, I showed my age a little bit, and me being a youngin, as I said, early 2000s for a Max Power magazine was probably the first time I picked it up, uh, like 11-year-old Leonard going to Tower Records, because that's the only place that you could get Max Power magazines. Uh, and I remember flipping through the pages and like seeing, you said, uh, you know, kind of this alien uh, thing of what uh, the Japanese and Club Midnight was doing with their cars. I would open up a Max Power issue and see what the the dudes in the uk were doing i was thinking what what are even these cars you know the chevy crossos or the cosworths or this you know the stuff that was foreign to me uh i thought was was completely bonkers and extreme uh especially the modification that you guys like to do with their hoods back then which is like the split open i think that came out of the uk for for, for real but uh that was interesting for me but anyway, sorry, go so, on. so on the back of that, though, the era that you're describing, the 2000s, that was when that was a dark era for me personally because it was we, we took a lot of influence from from uh, from Europe. So the, the the Dutch, the French, the the Belgians, they were like obsessive with bright colours and the the kind of uh, what do you guys call it, bondo? Like, um, like um, yeah, yeah, like everything was fiberglass and. And that's what a lot of people class as the, the the true Max Power era. But Max Power for me was probably about a decade before that, when things were kind of the UK market for that was kind of developing, and we didn't have big body kits yet, and um, things were on a lot lower scale. But that era, is, for me personally, is dark, dark, very dark. So yeah, I mean, I look I look back at that at that time. I think in all of car cultures in, in america and japan and it's some of it's really cringy some of the stuff that was going on like it does did not age well at all yes and yeah. it should be should be left there <laughs> yes fully agree so would you would you characterize the the golden era of max power as you called it as like uh like just the uk kind of waking up to what was available in Japan, is is that um, no? Because the, the problem with that was we we went down the, this path, and there was you would get I don't know maybe once every three issues you would get a, Jap, a, a, a genuine car from Japan featured, um, and they just did things differently. The the modifications that they had, the power, the the, the yeah. sentiment of what they used the cars for was just different. But we we literally in the UK we went a different way. We didn't go down that route because it's quite. We, we we didn't use cars in the in the UK the same way that the Japanese did. Um, big power and big speed is is such a, a Japanese thing. We, okay. we we didn't because we we couldn't. So it's a lot of small engine stuff, but big visual body kits. Gotcha, gotcha. It that visual, yeah, yeah. And it's that's the part when it was just it, it got a little bit silly. But I suppose in in the US in the early two thousands was the same thing. You know, when you see those old magazines, when you've got like um, a, a Honda Integra, a, a rare car even then, but it was like bright pink with white interior. And you guys, <laughs> the, the Vegas shows where they were kind of, you know, you would have the display all around the cars and they'd be on air ride and they'd have massive chrome wheels and all that sort of stuff. We did that in the UK with the Max Power era, but on much um, smaller scale in terms of the physical cars because it was all hot hatchbacks and stuff in the UK. Sure. You sit in saxos and all that sort of nonsense. So then what, uh, 
so you got into cars and you know what we call the max power era but then what was the first thing that kind of like you were like oh midnight club holy crap so so for me personally i, I like i mentioned when we was talking earlier around my father in the in the sierra coswell and that sort of era discovering because of um track uh, of of the, the british touring car championship the btcc um bathurst is another example Seeing the R31 and then ultimately the R32 for the first time was on TV in, in touring car races, racing against the Sierra Cosworth. Sierra Cosworth was like king in our house. It was like a god. Which, to then see them start to get beat by this upstart. But by the way, the Sierra Cosworth <laughs> is a god in automotive history. I just, that was... Absolutely. That was the Absolutely. first, that was probably the first car. That and the Lotus Carlton was the first car that made me be like, what's going on in Europe right now? Uh, from like a European yeah. tuner culture. I was like, these are dope. Why isn't anybody talking about this in the States? But please continue. But, but um, so, so I had this, this slight introduction to, to the skyline and it, it, that was kind of when I was like eight, nine, 10 years old. Um, at the same time, I was kind of starting to get influenced by Japan. So the, the two biggest influences other than the car thing were films. So um, Black Rain with Michael Douglas um, very cliche Japanese film. Um, Empire of the Sun was the second. That was my, and it was all you know, like the the symbology, the kind of Japanese flag and the rising sun and all that sort of stuff. Um, that was my introductions to to Japan as as a country. And then flash forward to mention to kind of bring it up to date in terms of the, the like this interview, if you like. Um, when I was fourteen, I was sitting. Um, in the, the the very early part of '95, um, Jeremy Clarkson had um, made a program called Motorworld. Um, it was a seven or eight part series, and it just so happened that the first episode was on Japan. Um, I remember sitting in the kind of in the new year, like pretty much around this sort of time. Um, we had like a TV guy then that was always like the Christmas television stuff, and you would mark on what you were gonna. There was no one like no internet and all that sort of stuff wasn't around in. This was the only way that you knew what was going to be on TV. So my kind of dad had circled this new program. Um, we sat down, we watched it, and the first episode was Japan, and then the, the immortal words of Mr. Clarkson, driving a, a, an R32 Skyline through the streets and goes, it's dead expensive, it's 50 grand to buy. It's out of reach of most people. And then he ordered the immortal words of Midnight. Um, and it flashes to this small segment, um, and it was just, for me, it was just like an absolute thunderbolt. That was like, whoa, that's just, what is this? I want to know more. Um, had to wait a little while to, to kind of, uh, there was a magazine that came out not long after. Um, I got to see the um, the blue Midnight RX-7 um, for the first time in a, in a kind of a garage scene photograph. And then flash forwards to the, the later part of that year, Max Power magazine went, so, so so the BBC were the first guys who went out there. Um, and then about six, nine months later, Max Power went out there and they got access way beyond what I'd kind of seen in this small Clarkson segment. Um, and that ultimately led to Max Power in the very end of 95, releasing the, in the now kind of famous um, midnight story on the club. You kind of got some pictures and some more information and some faces and some, and that was for me was just, whoa, I'm 15 years old and I am just absolutely hooked. I need to know more. Um, so that was the start of my journey and um, back in kind of late 95, really. So what, what was the first car in midnight that was, that made you, you know, just captured you the hardest? Um, so there's, there's two. So, so following that, following that issue, so that was the very famous, the kind of Saturday Night Fever issue that, um, or story, I should say, that came out. You kind of got a little bit of a glimpse of the cars. Um, you, you you got more of a flavour of what was there. There was Ferraris on the page. There was 964s on the page, 930s on the page. But the two cars kind of that, that led the pack in that famous photograph was the blue RX-7 and the blue R32 GBR. At the same time, so that literally... The, the, the story that appeared in Max Power was uh, was photographed on a Saturday night. The following day on the Sunday, um, they met up on the docks in Yorkahama and they photographed each of the, the member cars separately. 
Going into 96, Max Power started releasing individual stories on those cars. So I got like a full-page spread on the blue RX-7. I got a full-page spread on the on the blue R32. Um, and those two cars were just like the exhaust on the R32. Um, the, the, the system itself was bigger than anything tailpipe related in the UK at the time. The tailpipe itself on that R32, you could get your head in. It was just... <laughs> Oh, but it was just you, you could, if you try to describe this it's the norm now but if you try to describe it to someone now they'd just be like but but to, to add a little caveat I've both of those owners of those cars are obviously very good friends now those magazines those features I've sent to those guys they, they, they kind of have them um, and that tailpipe on that R32 proved to be too much for even that owner so the owner of that R32 um the history and development of that car is like phenomenal. It went on for years and years and years in a sense, but he actually changed that tailpipe. So that tailpipe that you saw in Max Power, that was, I think Max Power make a joke of it saying it's like a extra large bean tin size. Um, he actually changed it because it was like, it's too much, too loud. It had to come off. I had to change it for something else. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I, I would like to know how you, you talk about now, uh, friendships and personal relationship with some of the members. Um, I'd like to know how you you got to that point. So, so like you, it's ninety five. You're enthralled. You, you you say like you're you're all about it. Um, how do, how do you get to where you are now? So from from ninety five, I was dead lucky in a sense that as I said, ninety six came along and there was a few more features. Uh, ninety seven, ninety eight. I think pretty much every year in some publication somewhere there was something that I could get. Um, flash forward to kind of around the early 2000, 2001 um, I get the name of the website the internet had come along by this point so trying to find stuff on street races was like almost impossible but then um, it's it's infamous now but then there was a release the the, the famous Midnight Red Z um, was, was sent over to America in 2000 for a big Z event and it was it was covered on a very early website at the time with a story about the car, which has caused major controversy since because the the article itself has been chopped up and, and moved around so much that led to everyone thinking that that particular car did over three hundred and forty kph and the fake Yakli photographs and all that stuff because of that article. But every single year from then on, I managed to get something somewhere, and then ultimately it leads up to two thousand and six when I went to Japan for the first time, walking into a into a bookstore picking up Option Magazine, like the club was still being featured then, 2008, still being featured. Um, so I knew that I knew they were still there, but trying to get access in the 2000s was, was a little bit difficult. Kind of met my first members in 2008 at the Auto Salon in January. Um, literally a facial recognition thing, like even the... Um, the thought of approaching them then as a, as a member, if I'd known what I did now, if I'd known what I do now and I'd approached them then, it would have been, I would have kind of been committing heresy in a sense because it's just not the done thing. But, <laughs> but then flash forward and then to link it back to the kind of original Max Power stuff, obviously social media kicked in and, and around 10 years ago, like I had these magazines sitting here and I was like, you know that wolf. I wonder who killed JFK scenario and then you think you'll never know and then you you tap on the internet a little bit and all of a sudden you're like, oh, there's loads of information there. Kind of things had opened up a little bit and I was like, no, days, I'm going to contact these guys. And I remember the night sitting on the floor with these magazines all over the floor on social media and I just went, right, I'm going to message them. So I messaged the owner of the Blue RX-7 and I messaged the owner of the Blue R32 and I was like, sent them pictures and both of them were like, whoa, what is this? And they didn't, they, they vaguely remembered it, but they, they didn't know that the features existed, to be honest, then. So I kind of parceled up. Wait a um, second. Hold, hold on. <laughs> so there's a frenzy about Midnight Club in the West, because that absolutely was a thing. Like when we were, you know, like I remember when I was in high school, which was like 2000 to 2005 era, like... It, it, you know what I mean? Like it was like one of those things that people were like, eh, I'm in Midnight Club or whatever. Nobody knew what that actually meant, but there was a lot of hype. And what you're telling me is that the guy, the guys actually in the club had no idea that the rest of the world outside of Japan was 
freaking out about their stuff? Oh no, absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. The, the, the original. The original. So right. So, so the. I'm, I'm going to be careful with names, but the the, yeah. the 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 very very prominent member of the team who was responsible for the kind of organization of this of the original Max Power story. We were sitting. We were sitting at dinner one night in the UK. Actually, come over to visit. We were sitting in the in in a restaurant in the UK having dinner, and I'd specifically taken this magazine down. We were talking about it, and he's kind of flipping through the pages. And his exact words were, "Yeah, I remember this story." Obviously, he was he was involved in in, in the in the the organisation between the UK team and in in the club itself. And he was like, "Yeah," he was like, "Do you know what? No one believed it." And I was like, "What?" Yeah. And he went, at the time, he went, and this is obviously, feed, this is not feedback from the Japanese side, this is feedback from the UK side. His exact words were, he was like, no, no, the, the, the feedback, and this is probably from the, the reporter and the photographer who were there, told him that the guys in the UK didn't, the, 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 the audience in the UK thought it was nonsense. The thought that the thought Max Power had made that story up um, to to generate sales, they thought the, the the club was made up. They thought story. They thought the activities of driving two hundred miles an hour on the streets. Genuinely thought that whole thing was a big lie. Um, and no, they had. If you if you and this this goes on and, and this this topic can be regurgitated so many times over so many things. People think that for, as an example, there's a there's a recent YouTube um, film being made. Um, where it's kind of talking about a midnight lie to you and all this nonsense. The the thought that a team of people in Japan made lies up so the rest of the, the rest of the Western world would think something different or it is just nonsense. Absolute those guys are so naive to the bullshit that is circling around outside of Japan. It is unbelievable. Because they are just they are in Japan they're doing their thing, yeah. don't care. And it is like, guys, guys, for fuck's sake, just shut up. Shut up. Stop talking utter nonsense. Because that's, that's, that's all it is. It's just Western idiots making up. Uh, so so I, I, I wanted I wanted to spell a few rumors while we're we're on this on this subject this subject here. What is what is true about Club Midnight? Um that you would say is is the biggest lie ever. Um, for uh, for one, most people would believe. for one, it's not Club Midnight. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, right. Hot so time. this is Sorry. this is this is hot debate number one. So, in terms of um, a a kind of a factual description of what they are called, it is at its most base level, it is midnight. Two separate words. There's a there's a gap in the windscreen of the of the windscreen banner for a reason. It's two separate words. Has been since 1982. Um, the official full term is Midnight Racing Team. Hence the the extended banner that runs along the doors. Um, um, various other media outlets have kind of given other weird names like Team Midnight, Racing Team Midnight, stuff like that. That's not really what the kind of class themselves are. They would class themselves as Midnight. Um, that at its most basic level, um, but it, it for such a simple thing, it causes so much con- so much debate online. Um, yeah. And again, it's something that I am guilty of wading into with times, and have just given up because it's it's just a name. Um, they will sometimes members will use hashtag Midnight Club in their posts. Um, midnight Club as a term was kind of coined by Clarkson. Really, it was never called Midnight Club for that. In, in a media sense, and the name has stuck ever since. Um, but I, I've read articles from like the original chairman who would call it a club. I've spoken to prominent vice chairman of the club who calls it a club at times. It's not like you're not committing crimes, but the, there is various terms. And yes, so we really have Jeremy Clarkson to blame for for the yes for the club. He was very topical at the moment for his comments. Very topical. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay um, but so, sorry to answer your question yeah. uh, about i don't know the most uh, the, the biggest besides, besides the name oh there's 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 loads and loads and loads and loads um 
the I mentioned it earlier, the, the, the fake Yetli picture of the Red Z doing 342 kilometers an hour. Um, the, the person who made that fake image took an image from 94 when the car was doing 265, I believe, um, and doctored it because of the article that I mentioned earlier. Um, for, for reasons nobody knows, that's just kind of what people do. Um, but uh, the ones, the, there was a, a good one that came out of an article about six or seven years ago around the whole uh, cars that were doing 200 miles an hour for 20 minutes at a time. Um, people get unbelievably caught up in speed and top right. speeds, and it is not the basis of the team at all. Um, 200 miles an hour is a is a hellish marker for anyone, to be honest. Um, if, if you have a car that does 200 or 200 plus, um, but the the simple facts of the whole members would do 200 miles an hour for 15 or 20 minutes at a time. If you do simple maths, you drive the entire 50 miles of Wangan <laughs> through toll booths. <laughs> I yeah. think there's at least two toll gates on that run of 50 miles, like 80 kilometers. You wouldn't go through one of those at 200 miles an hour, would you? It's like if people just do some simple basic maths, they'll understand. And the re the reality of, of races, races are, are such a, a small part of kind of the evening events, if you like. Um, races are minutes long, um, short bursts, very well organised. Um, it is... It is not you're going to drive for 200 miles an hour for hours and hours and hours and hours at a time. That's just not. It's just not normal. Uh, nobody does that really. Um, even the guys who run Aqualine, as an example, you know how long Aqualine is. It's, oh, it's only you can't, 10, you can't, 10, 12 kilometers from start to finish. Yeah, and you wouldn't. You would. You might. You might and drive you it a few you times. You don't. Yeah, you don't. You don't do the whole thing at top speed. No, <laughs> it's impossible. So, yeah, you, you just need to blow you just up your engine. Go. Ask someone who knows. Exactly. <laughs> just exactly. About, I was holding my no, tongue. No. <laughs> so, what, what would you say in you know in real life is the the point of the club? Is it just a group of dudes that like cars that got famous per chance? Is there a purpose? Uh, are they actually, you know, Yakuza drug runners like a lot of people like to theorize? Or what is, you know, are they are they gangbangers? Um, like, what's the point? So, it has it has more than one answer because it has a history of forty years. the 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 rationale of the club now is completely different to the rationale of the club back then. And um, things change. I, I try to break things down into segments, whether that's a five-year or a ten-year segment. Um, the the original um, the original idea for the club was to was to gather together the ultimate runners of the time over many disciplines to form a club of elite people. Um, people kind of lose their minds and stuff over the the, the rules and regulations that were involved in becoming a member of the team the reality is the the personal side of things was way more important than the ability of the of the car um as things kind of ticked over in the 90s once the the, the r32 gtr came out you could boost that car up quite cheaply quite easily and you could probably have a car that would quite comfortably do 280 290 300k for not a lot of money so speed was achievable what was more important to the team was was personality, um, and once once your kind of personality was integrated into the team, and you were seen as someone that could be a valued member, then you would start kind of the whole process of do they have the safe ability to actually do this? But people do not understand how important personality was to being a part of things. Um, you had to, you had to kind of prove yourself personality-wise and as a person long before you had to prove your car. That was way more important. Um, it's kind of a, again, another huge misconception is the whole the secrecy thing. Um, members weren't allowed each other's weren't allowed to know each other's names and all that sort of stuff. And you're like, these guys socialise together. 
these guys spent their entire life together. Like, like they did everything together. Um, it was kind of a, a cooperative kind of mentality of one all for one and one for all, like that type of thing. Um, the secrecy was only kind of around making sure that the the stage was protected. It's a big it's a big line for the team is protect, especially in the early days, protect the stage, and the stage then being whatever road they were racing at the time, and um, when they were transitioning from from Tomi over to to the very early days of Wangan, in the in the kind of early eighties, it was like oh, shit. What we're doing is really really bad. Like it's it's seen as antisocial. We need to kind of and they were so so aware of that. And it was like, right, guys, this is uh, we need to protect it because if we don't protect it, we're gonna we're not gonna be able to do it anymore. Um, the more the um, if you if you read terms in magazines at the time, it was all about the galleries, and the galleries were essentially the people who would come along to watch spectators. They didn't want that; that was bad. Um, nobody wants to drive past a, a group of people it somewhere between two hundred and three hundred kph because you're just asking for trouble. The, if word of mouth spread, then you're going to kind of get police involvement. So it's, it's all about protection. That was the secrecy side of it. It wasn't about them being secretive because they all knew each other. You kind of couldn't get into the team if you didn't know someone. That was kind of the whole part uh, of, of bringing together this this family environment. So that's just yeah, it's just nonsense. So I mm. I feel like and and I I don't want to offend anybody is what I'm about to say, but it sounds like the actual attitude of the team is not super far off from like, um, not a gang, but like a U.S. motorcycle club where it in the U.S. there's a culture with motorcycles and a lot of times you see it on the Harley side of things, which I'm not a Harley rider, but like there's, there's a lot of, and I'm not talking about dumb stuff like hell's angels or crap like that. I'm talking like just your local motorcycle club. Like they have like a barrier to entry. It's all about personality and you kind of hang out with the dudes, get to know them a little bit. And eventually they ask you if you want to be a member of their club and it's, you know, all they do is just go out and ride motorcycles. They don't do anything super crazy. And granted, Midnight's doing something a bit crazier, but it the the kind of attitude, like when you're describing it, to me, it's like, oh, I get that. That sounds like a motorcycle club. Yeah, absolutely. So sadly, what what will now happen as a result of you saying that, somebody on social media will go, Andy has just Andy has just linked Midnight to to the hell's I angel to the- I absolutely guarantee. Um, so, it, oh god! Midnight Club um, has a member of the Mongols. Oh god! But so you didn't see them in Sons of Anarchy? Yeah. Yes, they, they didn't arrive till season two, but they're in there. <laughs> oh, but um, so so. You know, like prior to this, when you sent me kind of a, a basic outline of what you wanted to talk about, and you talk about like organization and structure and all the rest of it, you literally have just hit the nail on the head. Absolutely what you have just said is true. Um, it, it's all kind of about like the older members of the team or original members of the team kind of being um, father figures, if you like, and, and um, the... The structure was very much based on on etiquette and um, and uh, society in Japan and in the kind of way that that's geared up. Um, so everything you've just described around the way that that, that club would work would, would be the same. Um, it's very very much a, a kind of a the the older guys in the team kind of had the most respect. The the, the lower levels um, in the team were kind of what do you call them in a motorcycle club like a prospect if you like yeah um, yep. you essentially describing it like a pink sticker member um it's it's different now but like back then the, the that process could go on for a, a number of years several years if need be um before you could be fully integrated and it was it was more than just your ability in a car how fast the particular car you had was it was all about your personality how you um as, as an example, um, one of my 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 first ever memories, first ever kind of visions was the was the garage scenario in Yokohama, where they would meet in, in the mid nineties, 
So they would meet around about midnight, hence the name. Um, yeah, they'd be there for a, a few hours, to be honest, and they would they would hold a meeting. During those meetings, that's essentially when new members would would have to um, would have to introduce themselves. They'd literally have to um, stand in front of the group and talk about themselves, and they would have to integrate with each and every member and, and kind of prove themselves. And that was a process that was done long before anyone got in a car. Um, and it's it's quite a daunting thing. Like it, it's something that I've 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 personally experienced and personally had to do. So when I was at the the kind of end of year party uh, three or four years ago, like it was literally a similar scenario. It was like the chairman turned to me and was like, "Right, Andy, you, um, introduce yourself," type thing. And you can imagine a, a Westerner got a very broad northeast accent from where I am in the UK, standing up in front of twenty five people who do not speak English. <laughs> and trying to present it's like yeah. it's it's pretty bizarre but in the same sense that's exactly what pink sticker members had to do through their whole lives they they had to project themselves on the team to 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 get anywhere if you, if you the team didn't like you as a person if you weren't right then it didn't matter what you it didn't matter that your car could do 300 kph it was it was irrelevant um, so it's, it's a part of the team that people really, really aren't, aren't aware of in terms of um, relationships and stuff. Have you... Fascinating. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. Have you ever seen, like, uh, you know, somebody that's a, a prospect or rushing or whatever you want to call it that they were like, hey, we like you, but you drive like ass, like get your lap times up? Or is that a... Like, is it... Yeah, yeah that's... Yeah, that's that I mean that's that's um let's just say like for example you were you were um you were accepted it's kind of like not invite only but you know there's 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 particular personal ways of means that someone would be um invited if you like to come along. There was a lot of guys in and around events or nightly events who weren't members, weren't full members, weren't even pink, who were friends of friends, who would share passenger seats, who would spend a number of years just kind of hanging around and, and, and being part of it, but not being an official member, if you like, who might may or may not eventually kind of go on to do it. But if you decided that that was something you want to do and you went down the path, um, ultimately, once you've gone into a car and you had to you had to prove yourself in, in the evening events and you were dangerous, like these... the. What people don't understand around the, uh, racing, you know, like you see these stereotypical kind of front bumpers. It's it's a it's a mark of them. They would never paint them. They would never fix them. Stone chip front bumpers were just like um, burnt rear exhausts. Where you know, like stuff like that. It was like they would polish the rest of the car, but they would leave that because that was that was type of a thing. Um, the the reason that the cars are like that is because they drive incredibly close together. Like it is seen as a mark of of skill if you can get your car millimeters away from the car in front and you would almost push the car in front um and the car in front you're then in the position where the car in front is responsible for the car at the back because if the car at the front breaks there's going to be an almighty accident between two cars so that was kind of a that was kind of a skill if you like that that was learned that that type of trust is earned over many many years. Like you, you, you don't just step in a car and you, you're not allowed to partake in that type of activity on the street at speed if you are not like trusted to like the ends of the earth type thing. So that 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 and if if you weren't like I think the, the the official terms excommunicated is like you were gone. That was it. You were out. And you'd be politely asked to leave, and you'd politely go. Like you wouldn't go the first typical. <laughs> They, they they don't. It's like, um, and that's quite common. That, quite more than common. I think, and I think that really circles back around to the the primary basis of entry into the club. You said being personality, because uh, that's where you that's where you get the trust from. That's where you learn yeah. whether or not you could trust the person, getting to know that person. Uh, you know, if a person usually speaks or acts erratically, they they might be doing that in the car. You know, you're going 300 kilometers an hour um and i could definitely speak personally uh to the kind of trust that is required you know 
driving at that at those speeds down the Wangan or the Aqualine. Um, and whether it be in front of you or next to you, uh, th- th- um, a great amount of trust is required. Um, yeah. We were just talking to to Josh, uh, aka Natsu's story, uh, on our last episode about the Tatsumi, Tatsumi time, Tatsumi culture, and the R9 guys. Uh, and those guys are, are another another group of people who uh, I equate a lot to Midnight. Uh, they, I think they, they hold the same sort of moral and ethics, or they seem to be similar, at least from what I've seen, observed. Yeah, and I think people kind of say, like, how come... How come Midnight's lasted for, for so long? And that's genuinely the reason. There's, there's hundreds and hundreds of teams out there. Um, in the 80s, in the early 90s, like there was hundreds and hundreds of cars out on an evening. And it was all the kind of like, keep keep yourself away from everyone else, kind of keep your business um, as quiet as possible. Um, and I think the reason that the, the, the team has lasted so long is because of all these kind of morals and ethics that were instilled right from the, the, the foundation in 82. Um, and kind of, this fair, what, what they would class as like legends being born. It's not just legends of individuals, legends of cars or achievements. It's kind of also like the, um, there's so many um, nostalgic things that they do. Even daft things like like sticker placement and, and or, or certain stickers. Um, they've got so many amazing nostalgic um, routines that they do, and that's the reason why the team has lasted for four decades because they have just they've stuck to it. They've, they've kind of they've, they've got like their charter, which is like their their set of rules and regulations, if you like, and they've stuck with them. And it is it's lasted. Um, people kind of there's lots of debate around midnight disbanding and and, and the club ending and all this kind of nonsense. Um, the reality is that that. The only thing that killed off street racing in Japan was was it killed off everyone. It, it, it just died out kind of, of naturally. You couldn't do what you did in the 80s and the 90s, maybe nudging into the early 2000s in a racing sense. Uh, I think people get confused between racing and driving fast because they're two completely different things. Uh, racing, in a sense, was um, very small, short bursts of activity between lots of people and, and Midnight only did that amongst themselves. They didn't race other people. They only raced themselves. Um, mm-hmm. Driving fast is different. You, know, you can go and drive the entire length of Wangan at speed, um, but you probably wouldn't race the entire length. It would be, it would be pretty crazy and it would be pretty dangerous. You'd kind of pick most teams pick segments or they had certain roads that they did it on. Um, and again, Midnight stuck with that, but. Everyone kind of loses their head a little bit around like the team disappearing and this whole '99 nonsense and all the rest of it. But the reality was like that's it. it everyone, there's, there's teams that we've discussed in the past. We've discussed online um, the likes of the R9 guys Midnight, and Midnight though. <laughs> <laughs> but like everyone, everyone ultimately stopped doing what they the did, and it wasn't because of any of the nonsense that's on the internet. It was because. They had to, everyone had to, things changed. Um, a lot of guys yeah. got old and didn't want to do it anymore, but ultimately the, the, the restrictions that were placed on the roads and by the police and stuff, clampdowns that happened, it just kind of put everyone off in a sense. So, um, you, know, you know, I I, have a, I actually have a lot to say about that because yeah. I've done some, I've, I've made observations through my time in Japan. I've, I've seen the car culture in Japan kind of do this, sort of ebb and flow and and i like to say that there's a cycle the cycle is you know for a decade or two you know whatever period of time it be there's the highway runners the public streets the the top speed guys running in japan but then you know for one reason or another most likely through you know clampdowns and either shocking inspections or you know the police posting up at daikoku or closing down tatsumi whatever their tactic was back then is now it's the same or, you know, whatever. Those, that sort of culture moves into the mountains. And then you see sort of a more grassroots toge, uh, maybe more drifting happening, i.e., you know, early 2000s. But then, you know, f- f- through one thing or another, the police kind of migrate over to that sort of um, gathering of people or and, and influence and culture and then clamp down on that. And then you see a more resurgence of 
higher runners like you do in Tatsumi, you know, into 2010s to 2015s. And I so I definitely agree, you know, it, it's not through one specific thing, like one big highway with bozo, bozo rider motorcycles, you know, a fight on the highway happened. It, it just through happenstance, yeah, really. Because that is like the realistic thing that could ever have happened, isn't it? Like when you when you process that through your head of the whole, there was Bozuzoku riders on the Wangan driving it 30 mile an hour. And you're like, well, that's never happened ever in the history of... <laughs> and then all of a sudden, all of a, all of a sudden, these, these guys driving at 200 mile an hour just happened to, to come across them. And you're like, does anyone process anything through yeah. their heads before they... And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I read it on the internet, so it must be true when you're like, sick. As mythical Ugh. as a place as Japan might be, it's it's not that much of a, a fantasy world. <laughs> that shit doesn't happen. It's, I suppose it's, it's similar to the kind of the accident scenario, you know, like, there, there's genuinely people out there who believe that um, Midnight is a, is a team of people survived for 20 years, and then all of a sudden there was this huge colossal accident that killed them off, and you're like, do you genuinely think from the law of averages that that wasn't accidents? There was dozens and dozens of accidents in street racing all through the 80s, all through the 90s, all 2000s, on and on and on. Like, the 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 basis of, of, of the street guys, if they get into an accident, is to keep it as quiet and as contained as possible so no one kind of gets involved. Um, and that happens so many times, and it's just like... Uh, sometimes you've you've kind of got to question people's common sense when they when they read this stuff online, and you're like, if you just think about it, if you just do the the, the smallest amount of common sense research or thinking, and you'll get the answer. You, it'll make sense, but don't just read it and then take it as gospel that that's the truth because it's just crazy. So, you were saying a second ago that uh, they only raced like internal to the club. Yeah. So that's that's interesting because as I'm sure you're very aware, like the persona or the mystique online is that, you know, there's like street racer turf wars and they would like challenge other clubs and like try and dominate the scene or whatever. But it, you're saying that like so the racing was so um, incestuous, you had to actually earn the right to participate in a race. And it was only... And- Absolutely. And also, well, hold on, I'll expand, I'll expand on the answer because the answer kind of transcends time a little bit more. But in terms of what I'm specifically talking about, um, you, you'd even have to earn the right within the team. So you, you would have your, your top rank level guys. Your uh, In terms of structure of the team, you'd have the guys who are at the top, um, your chairmen, your vice chairmen, your longer standing members would get priority in 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 nightly activities over your kind of lesser time scale members and then down to your kind of a pink guys. It was kind of a structure in the sense that the 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 the, the main guys, your silver guys, your long established members would kind of be at the front and your pink guys would be at the back with the ability to challenge, but they were it was essentially kind of this hierarchy um that was that was developed. In the very early days in the kind of in the in the early eighties in a sense, you'd have You'd have you would meet up on the street with you know like that whole kind of traffic like traffic light Grand Prix scenario. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that they didn't race other people because, but there's there's just a there's just a, a distinction between um, driving fast and and racing. So from Midnight's point of view, you would have it. You would meet. You would have your meeting, and the meeting point would change over time. Um, in the eighties, it was in one place. In the late eighties, it was somewhere else. And then the early nineties, kind of my year out, was in the in the the, the forecourt in Yokohama. You'd meet uh, around about midnight, the kind of the half twelve, quarter one sort of time. And um, you would have kind of a meeting where you would discuss things. You would then leave Yokohama and you would drive up right the way around to Chiba. You would go to a famous restaurant um, where you would um, have a meal, and that kind of the traffic died down. And then from there, from that moment, when you left that restaurant, that section after that, from kind of the up round in Chiba to probably Ichikawa um, parking area, that was kind of your race setting between those points. Um, and then you, after that, you would you would they would come all the way back down to Daikotu. Um, in the early days, they couldn't because it wasn't there. It was the extension of Wangan didn't exist, but 
Um, the racing segment, if you like, was internally midnight. It was those guys against each other within the team. That was their that was their thing. Um, the whole why did they do it? Well, because there was there's loads of reasons why they actually did it. In a sense, the, the biggest one, I suppose, is um, is uh, they, a, a release of stress in a, in a very long working week. If you if you like, is probably one of the. Um, <laughs> Like eight of those guys were working 80, 90 hour weeks and it was kind of if you talk to members, they're very territorial about the, the name, the team, and they'll call it their thing, like our thing. Um it's um their their name, their activity is just for them. Um so there is a lot of discussion around, you know, like they would they would arrange races with other teams and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You would meet you would meet other fast cars on the street. But like in the sense of um, in the sense of them getting together, them having their meeting, them going out and doing their thing, it was theirs. It was their very special kind of um, thing that they organised amongst themselves. They conducted amongst themselves, and they kept they kept for themselves is the, is the best way to describe it. Really, it's it's very yeah. Well, it's very um, wow. I would call that a very. I would say it's a very Japanese attitude to stuff because they tend to get into hobbies and, and, you know, it's almost stereotypical, but so, you know, forgive me for that. But like in my experience, the Japanese attitude towards whatever your hobby is, isn't competition or beating someone else. It's about mastering yourself, whether that's, yeah. And you see that, like all the, any legend that a Westerner knows about Japan, about samurai or blacksmiths and whatever, it was all about like pouring themselves into their personal craft. And they didn't, it, there, there's not really many stories about like proving yourself against someone else. It's all just about like, yeah, this guy's done whatever, eating rice with chopsticks for 40 years and he's the best chopstick guy that ever lived. And like that's whatever, you know, culturally, whatever Japanese people do, they... It's, it's a very insular and it's a very like mastering me and mastering my ability, not yep. really proven or showing it to anybody. It's just what I'm doing. Yeah. So, so just at the start of what you said there, something else popped in my head around uh, like a, a bit of a misconception. So there's a misconception around um, losing races and in, 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 in your member sticker being, being removed. Um, it's Actually, not quite. I didn't even know. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, once you've once you've put the person's windows out and let all the tires down and then beat them up and all of that um, interesting, that boy, interesting online nonsense. Um, but the reality of that situation is that um, if you were to lose a race, as an example, if you lost a race and then you lost all interest in 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 doing what you did, then you would be asked to leave the club. You would have the sticker removed. If you lost a race and you were like, I'm going to go and win, I'm going to go and beat them again, I will hound that person until I beat them, then you are not going to be removed from the team. There's no less, if you lose once, you are out. And it's probably more of a mentality from the early the early days rather than the kind of the, the later days, if you like. But if you, if you were, if your passion was so much that you were like, oh God, I've been beaten, right? That's it. I'm going to go and, I'm going to go and make the car faster. I'm going to go and, and you would get the stories of guys who would go out and they would hunt down the person who who they'd had an encounter with, and who'd beat them, and the, the kind of the 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 name of the club was on their backs, and it was like kind of they, they wanted to go, and they would that 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 story of one loss and you're out is just is just a bit daft. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a bit. Well, because I would that assume doesn't sound Japanese at all. Yeah, they would probably respect the perseverance and the drive. Absolutely, absolutely, and you've got to remember, like street racing, like you, in terms of racing, the the proper racing between cars, and we're talking multiple cars of like five, ten, fifteen, twenty cars at a time, kind of going at this. You know what it's like driving on those roads. No matter how quiet people say it is at certain times of the night, you know, they will weave in and out of traffic. They will be as careful as they can not to involve members of the public, but at the same time, that's kind of sometimes how races were won and lost. You would get stuck in a position where you you didn't gauge the gap in time. You'd get stuck behind a car, and then you'd let another car kind of win. So, 
there's always going to be scenarios where you kind of you may have come off second best. Um, the the flip side of that is you've got the, you've got some guys in the club who are renowned as their legend status is because they've never ever lost the race or certain cars they've had were never defeated. Um, but that's that then kind of gets to the elite levels of the team and the kind of the upper levels of the team. In those guys who are seen as the um, the legends and kind of ultimately the the guy who's in charge of the team now is one of those unbeaten fastest legend type of people. So that's kind of how it works, I suppose. I was gonna I was gonna ask who who are the unbeaten legends and where what are they still part of the club? I'm I'm really interested to know if old the old original members of the club are still active in it. Um, there's been yeah. some talk about like the um the chairman of the club recently uh switching over can you speak about that yeah so sadly i'm i'm, I'm not permitted to mention kind of old chairman scenario at all um for obvious reasons um but there is a lot of talk currently around old midnight and new midnight and it kind of gets frustrating because ultimately it's it is just um just celebrated its 40 year anniversary um I was very lucky that I was... So recently they celebrated that at their kind of end-of-year party that they have. I was really lucky that I was at their 37th year end-of-year party. Um, and that was kind of the, the, the transition year when when uh, a new chairman was was announced. Um, and they've got their new kind of ways of, 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 of running the club. But ultimately, it is the same guys. Um, there was guys who were active in the team who have been there since the 80s. Um, the kind of original founding members um, are not around anymore in in, a, in an active sense. Um, but there is guys who are there from 84, 85, 86 who are still active. Um, the member who drives the, the white Porsche uh, GT3, who was very active, um, he is a he is a an 80s member who raced a, a, an FC. Um, and he is still going, still doing the thing. He is he has track raced um, at a professional level and an amateur level for the last 20, 25 years. He's he's been at Sukuba since uh, the mid two thousands, kind of doing his thing. Um, but in terms of uh, unbeaten legends, if you like, th- th- there's quite a few. When Midnight was formed, it set out between sort of eighty two and eighty five to kind of dominate all areas. So. If you go on their history page on their website, it'll describe that in the sense that the um, Tomei, uh, the C1, um, Hakone, they, they kind of they, they they beat the course record, or they or they became the fastest on those, and, and that was kind of how they, those individual legends was born. Um, in terms of a more modern day um, story, the, the the current chairman um, he had a blue FD uh, from '92 to 96 and that is he is he then was classed as the fastest member um in the team at that time um so people kind of question whether or not this this new midnight nonsense um is is a completely new group of people with completely new members um it is run by guys who are who are 80s members um even the the the, the new hawaii branch if you like so there's there's Five branches now of Midnight, the, the, the Hawaii branch, if you like, um, is run by a, a genuine Japanese 90s member of Midnight. So a lot of people kind of lose their shit a little bit in the sense that it's it's um, it's it's not in keeping, if you like, with the with the the club's history. But it's Midnight is still running the show in a sense. It's not it's not like external. It's not something new. Um, so you, you, yeah, you've just dropped a huge bombshell on me. I didn't know that there were multiple branches of Midnight. Yes, four. So original Midnight is Tokyo was kind of head office. He, Tokyo head office simply for the fact that the chairman of the, the the original chairman, the founding chairman of Midnight, his business was was in Tokyo. Um, Yokohama branch. Uh, so those two were kind of the two main ones for 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 many years. Then there was Gatemba branch, which is um, predominantly kind of Abflug member populated, um, which is obviously quite a distance away. And then there is also a Fuji. Star- sorry, Silver and Fuji, Gotemba. Yep. 
Um, so Katimba branches to stay populated with, with again, Abflug members. But then there's also a Sokka branch. So um, in the original Sokka... Really? Chen. Yeah. So Sokka Midnight is, or was, um, the chairman of a Sokka Midnight um, was a was a Tokyo Yokohama member um, and he moved his business to Osaka in the mid-90s and he started his own branch. So although there is individual branches, there is they are all run by proper, integrated, original members of Original Midnight. There's no kind of like... Um, wow, okay. I'm going to start a new BS social media rumor and say that Midnight Club is responsible for the Kanjozaku in the 90s. <laughs> uh, that's uh, the, you heard it I here first, it. folks. Uh, <laughs> it's all connected. It's all connected. <laughs> Kanjozaku, for listeners that don't know, were the Honda Civics that ran from the cops in the Osaka area and are basically responsible for the explosion of Honda civics in the nineties and early two thousands. Uh, yeah, no good, no good racing and, and all of those guys. Yeah. Um, well, Hey, I think we are, this is one of my favorite conversations I think we've ever had. Uh, but I think we're about out of time. I, and we sure are. Yeah. Unfortunately. And it's been really awesome talking with you about this stuff. Um, I learned a lot. And man, I think, I think we could, we could cover so many, so many hours worth of stuff. Uh, maybe a plan for the future. Who knows? Yes. So I can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. I mean, we make <laughs> we, a radio we love show. To hear more. Yeah. We make a radio show. You talking is, is a benefit for us. Uh, yeah. Lenny, you want to take us away? Sure. Uh, Andy, it's been great having you. Uh, we'll have to get you back on the show. Uh, maybe sometime in the future, if you're down. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. Maybe, maybe talk a little bit more about what Midnight is doing on the track. Because uh, yes. I'm absolutely interested in that. Uh, I've been following a few of them on social media uh, for a few months now. And I'm super super enthralled with with uh their lap times and their development of the cars on scuba specifically because i love scuba scuba is one of my favorites of all time um so yeah if you're down i would love that absolutely it's a pleasure to uh, be is there anything you'd like to plug what you got going on any social media stuff no uh, don't that, plug my social media find you i'm already hated <laughs> on that um no just so <laughs> In terms of, I don't know, in terms of like a, a kind of a final message for me, for like just just to just to kind of cover off some of the bits that we've we've spoke about, like kind of around the new and the old midnight and stuff. So, um, yes, you're absolutely correct. Midnight is is pursuing a, a slightly different avenue, but ultimately, midnight's ethos is still the same. It is they pursue speed. That is that is the message from the chairman. Um, I did a little post for him on social media around the kind of the drift car scenario in terms of oh my god there's a drift car in midnight but that story was ultimately so that guy could that, that member could improve his skills enough that he was going to be faster on track that is midnight's focus now it's it's midnight's focus because ultimately that is what they can do you know, driving on the street is just it's just not viable in a sense but these are still street guys these still guys still drive on the streets they've got very street orientated cars um, they still love the street. They love the history, um, but they've just they're just going down a different route now. They're just kind of going down a different path. Um, but the team is still the same. It's the same people, the same personnel, the same passion, same guys who were who were banging away in the eighties and the nineties and the two thousands. Um, and it's just a kind of a for a bit of an ask. It's just to kind of respect that. Um, the, the, the like listeners who who might listen to this and and, and pick up on certain vibes. Just. Um, there's a lot of animosity in a sense towards what they feel that it might have become now. And it's, it hasn't changed. And um, the biggest message is it hasn't changed. It's still the same team, the same guy with the same passion. So, yeah. And with that, thanks for listening, folks. If you love what you hear, you could catch us uh, at spot on Spotify, Apple podcast, Google podcast, any platform. We're on seven platforms. Uh, 
with our podcast. We're soon to be on YouTube. Um, if you'd like to reach out to us, you could catch us on social, on Instagram and Twitter at Lift Podcast. If you like what you hear and if you like what we're bringing to you and you want to be part of the conversation, come join our Discord server in our social, in our bios. There's Linktree, uh, link tree, uh, link, our Discord server link invite is there. It's never going to expire because I've had that issue before. Uh, so hit that link, hit it, join us, come be a part of the conversation. We have tons of content on our, on our server. I'm sure Andy's going to be posting some some more info and video in our house of that Wangan built uh, channel. Hopefully, Andy, yes. if you could do that, that'd be great. <laughs> um, and that's it, folks. Uh, we're recording this uh, right before New Year's. Um, so Andy, John, if I don't speak to you, uh, before the New Year, Happy New Year. Hope your holidays were great. And here's to a great 2023. Remember, folks, keep it pinned.